Well, I invite you to turn your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 14, and uh, I'm going to have to take you back two weeks. I am, by the way, I'm glad to be back, and uh, I know I was here electronically last week, but it's just not the same, uh, not being able to see you guys and uh, be able to greet with you. But uh, we want to go back two weeks and rehearse a little bit of what we are going to be embarking upon, and really have already embarked upon, and we are going to be really strengthening this morning the earlier aspects that we've already really studied through the Gospel of John, but we want to make it emphatic, not only for the lost person out there, not only for the enemy of Christ, but for those who claim to be the followers of Christ. Because remember, we are in a very intimate, semi-private conversation between Jesus and his apostles. These are those who have been faithfully following Jesus throughout the whole course of this. We have already removed Judas Iscariot, and so the betrayer is gone. We spent a week talking about that. And now Jesus Christ has some very powerful things to tell his disciples. And he leads off with, let not your hearts be troubled. And this is an important Factor in understanding not only Jesus' words here, but John's whole perspective in all of his writing, not only here in the Gospel of John, but in 1 John, 2 John, 3 John as well. And so, and that is that we should know some things. And that that knowledge should give us strength. It should give us durability. It should give us uh, that sustenance to recognize that um, we don't need to be troubled. Um, but if there is troubling in our hearts, this should be attended to. It should be addressed, um, and we should be addressing it one with another, and Jesus Christ is going to address that, uh, even this morning as we look in the early few verses here and get into some very familiar passages that we hold very near and dear and are full of theology, and so we are going to uh, wrestle with these two things of delving into the theology or looking into the whole premise that is our hearts should not be troubled. We should have a confidence. We should have a, a, a stability in our walk with God, in our knowledge of God, uh, and in our communication with God. And so we have all of this going on. Remember our goal, the aspiration for Jesus Christ declared in this uh, it sounds like a monologue, but there really is some interchange. In his conversation with his disciples are three things. The Father's love, perfect peace, and fullness of joy. These are the three things that Jesus Christ wants his followers to experience, to have tapped into fully. He doesn't expect us to uh, have anything less. This is, this is his goal for us. This is why he communicates to them. He wants them to have these. He is not a stingy God that is just going to meet these out in little portions um, if you you do backflips for him. No, this is his whole goal and aspiration for your life is that you have full joy, that you have perfect peace, that you have the love of the Father in your life in abundance. All of these terms are abundant terms. These are not just little tiny portions. And so when I see Christians with this meagerness, this littleness of uh, the Christian experience, uh, it should, again, cause us to say, well, there's something that needs to be addressed. We need to find out why is there not a hungering and thirsting after righteousness? Why is it that we aren't longing as David did? I, I can't wait to be to get up in the morning and go into the house of the Lord. Why, why, can't, uh, you know, I, why is that missing? It needs to be addressed when that's not there. And so Jesus Christ's statement, let not your hearts be troubled, um, is a powerful one. Uh, And that is John's purpose. I want you to know, I want you to know that you know. (laughs) I write these things so you can know that you know. I I know for sure these things. There is a, a stability constant here that I can rely upon. It's not really based upon me, but it's God's work in me. That needs to be evident. And so Jesus Christ is going to give us theology, but he's also going to give us his wonderful blessings. I'm going to fill up your joy. I'm going to give you this peace, and you're going to receive the love of the Father. And so that's the pinnacle of Christian experience. Well, how do we get from here to there? 
and Jesus Christ is going to communicate that. We're going to have some help along the way, and starting next week, we're going to work into uh, that helper, the comforter, the paraclete, Jesus, or the Holy Spirit. We're going to be looking at his work for several weeks as the one who comes alongside of us um, and is ministering now in Christ's stead. Uh, that this is the aspect, uh, the person of the triune God that now ministers in us and alongside of us, with us, uh, and should not be ministering against us any longer. But he will, if necessary. And so we find that his work is one of the things we're going to rely upon, and so it's not just us, the if statements here that we're going to be uh, <laughs> pelted with uh, throughout these three chapters, 14, 15, and 16, uh, is not just there, but there's also right along line of them is these promises of God. And so we have the conditions of your obedience. We have also the promises, and these combined give us a settledness in our life that our heart should not be troubled. And we're going to delve right into the very first aspect of it that uh, we talked about is the foundation or the, the base, and that base is, is fully described throughout John. We have already studied it, and so I don't want to take too, I, I didn't take much time last time, two weeks ago. Uh, I'm going to take a lot more time today to talk about the development of this and your reaction to it, your response. Remember that we talked about the structure, that the structure is the work of God. That which is the, the skeleton, if you will, that we're going to hang all of our faith flesh on. It is going to be the, the platter and the, and the columns that are going to support this cake, is the illustration I used last time. And on a platter, it's going to be all the structure that is built upon a foundation and, and all the infill. Really, this building is a good example. Most of it is just infill. There's really very little to the skeleton, it seems like, but they are strong and powerful, and they're carrying all the rest of the load. And if you get up on this roof, as a few of you have with me, you recognize that there's a lot of space between the supports of this roof. Um, there's enough to fall through easily, uh, and some of you have tried to fall through it. <coughs> and we had some close calls over the history of this church and building it as well as <laughs> developing it. And so we realize that the structure is very strong, but the skin and the infill is necessary to protect us from the elements and to give it substance. And so we're going to see both of these working together. This is the concept that God has of the Christian life, that he will provide all of the foundation and the structure, but that we must enter into this relationship with him. That is that we are bringing something uh, to that structure, that we have responsibility to respond to it. That he initiates it and we respond. He initiates it, he provides, we respond. He provides further, we respond. And then he re provides again. And so the end result is your experience of joy, peace, and love. Uh, but again, that is based upon his work. And that work of giving you whatever you ask for is based upon something else, and that is that you ask, and that you do not ask amiss. And we're going to look at that. James talks about it, but John talks about it extensively here. And all the if requirements, that those are built upon the work of the Holy Spirit in our life, that is God's part, and that that is in response to you believing, and that belief is based upon the work of Jesus Christ and the Father. And so we delve into this with understanding that the whole structure here that Christ is going to be a little repetitive in um, is to recognize this is an enduring thing Jesus Christ wants in your life. This is no flash in the pan, what he's calling us to. And it's going to develop. And as it develops in our life, we call that maturity. That we might know all these principles at a very young age, but implementing them is a lifelong endeavor. Uh, and similarly, the basic principles of cooking, the basic principles of building, the basic principles of life, you can learn at a very early age. 
but developing them to the point of expertise takes time and application. You cannot learn the principles and then never go into the kitchen and expect to show up 20 years later and just throw out some masterful gourmet meal. You're not going to be able to do that. We recognize the need to put into practice those principles on a regular basis to strengthen our skills. I'm finally at a time when some of my construction skills are pretty good. Uh, my problem right now is that my body isn't. <laughs> um, I've noticed that I don't have the strength. I don't have quite as much endurance. My recovery time is ridiculously long now. And so while I have the skills, I recognize that I need to be transferring those skills to people with more strength and more endurance than I have. Uh, but they're still improving. And so it should be in our Christian life. And this is God's desire for us, that our joy just keeps filling and filling and filling, that our peace just becomes more and more perfected, and that the love of the Father just gets uh, strengthened in us and overwhelms us sometimes. And so we come to this, and read with me. John chapter 14, beginning verse 1 again. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know, Thomas said to him, Lord, we, don't know, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my father also, and from now on you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the father. So how can you say, show us the father? Do you not believe that I am in the father and the father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, Keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and, you will, and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. A little while longer, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. At that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. I'm going to stop there this morning. I, could, I would almost like to go all the way through these three chapters, and don't be surprised if one Sunday that is the sermon, uh, just to read these three chapters very carefully. Um, but we're going to stop there as we're just really in the introductory area. We are immediately confronted with a problem, and that is these men who have been following Jesus for these three years now, who have made a faith commitment to him, uh, some from the very beginning. Susan John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. They left off following him and started following Jesus Christ. And they went and got their relatives or brother. They went and got their friends. They get, brought them to Jesus. We have found the Messiah. We uh, identified him very early on. We even had Nathaniel, who was the, the, the cynic, who says, can any good come out of Nazareth? And Nathaniel comes, and Jesus Christ has to give him a sign right away, right off at the top. And, and Nathaniel makes that wonderful declaration that you're the Son of God. How else could you know these things? And so we have from there all the way to this point now, they have seen and heard and can testify to all the things that Jesus Christ has done. And they are going to put pen to paper. They're going to preach sermons. They're going to share the gospel. Uh, they are the testifiers of the life of Christ. And here we are confronted with a, with a couple of problems right away. You think by now, these men are full in and there is Little doubt of that, although it's going to be brought into question very strongly when they all abandoned him 
in a few hours. We're just a few hours from then abandoning Jesus Christ, running. We know that, but they don't. Jesus Christ knows that, but they don't. But the real problem is, is they are confounded by the words of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ says, let not your heart be troubled. He doesn't want you to be troubled in your spirit, in your heart, in, in, your, in your will. He doesn't want there to be confusion and despair. There is no place for that. And Jesus Christ wants that removed from them. But that tells us something is that that is what is fully in them. That as they hear the words of Jesus Christ, they just aren't bringing peace or joy or love into their thinking. Not because the words aren't the correct words. This is our Lord speaking. He is telling them what they need to hear. It is because they aren't getting a hold of it. They aren't grasping it. They can regurgitate it, I am very likely, because these are things that have been said over and over and over again. As we have studied the last few chapters, as Jesus Christ has engaged uh, the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin and his enemies, and he's engaged people out on the outskirts on the way into Jerusalem, as he has engaged people in Galilee, they have heard him talk and to use this very same terminology. But it just hasn't penetrated their understanding. And so when Jesus Christ says, I'm going to a place, to my Father's place, I'm going to build you a mansion, or a dwelling place, literally a place to be. Um, I go and prepare a place for you. I'm going to come again, and I'm going to receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. And uh, we, we know this passage, we're excited about this, and, uh, but we don't always know its context the context is, is that they are getting ready to experience separation anxiety because the one that they have become dependent upon, the one that they have in, not just enjoyed, but they have been fed by spiritually is about to be taken away from them in the physical sense. And Jesus Christ is trying to prepare them that this is a temporary thing, that it is for their benefit, and that this was the plan all along. He's been saying that from the very beginning. And that there's something greater that God has in store than what they have in mind. And this, I believe, we need to recognize as a fundamental perspective that we need to have about God. He has something greater in mind, greater in purpose for you than you have in mind for yourself. That frankly, our aspirations, our expectations are just too puny when it comes to our relationship with God. He has something much better planned. His purposes are not only for a physical kingdom that the disciples wanted, and which was going to be greater in your kingdom. You know, can my two sons sit at your right hand and left hand, says mommy on the side. Um, we have all this going on, and Jesus Christ says, I have something so much better than that in store for you. You're going to have to raise your expectations. And in fact, the problem is, is that none of us raise our expectations high enough because we're so much of this world. That's why we ask and pray so smallly. <laughs> I don't know if that's a word. It is now. I don't know if that's why we believe so little. But this was the problem the disciples had after three years of watching, of hearing, of walking with the Lord Jesus Christ. They're still having problems, which is a great warning to all of us. Don't think that because you have a certain theology all worked out that you have all the, all the answers to the questions that are out there uh, among the heathen that somehow you are experiencing a victorious Christian life. You could easily have one without the other. And Jesus Christ knows it. These men have the information, but they haven't implemented it in their life. They don't have the understanding. And so their hearts are troubled. And Jesus Christ tells them in verse 4, Where I go you know, and the way you know. And this surprises them. 
Thomas says, um, hold on, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what do you mean we know the way? We don't even know where you're going. How do we know the way? Jesus Christ just makes this affirmative statement. They have to know this because they have heard it over and over and over again. It has been a repetitive part of Jesus' teaching. I and the Father are one. I'm going to the Father. And, and he just said it again. I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And I'm going to come receive myself that where I am you may be also. And you know the way. You know where I'm going, and you know the way. And they said, well, wait a minute. We don't know the way. He's like, yes, you do if you've not been listening for three years. And even before that, didn't you listen to John? You do know the way. But Thomas says, Lord, we don't know. We, 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 we don't know where you're going, and we don't. How can we possibly know the way if we don't even know the destination? And before you're too critical of Thomas, I think this is what's wrong with a lot of Christians today. They don't really know their destination. Jesus Christ has told you the destination, but you don't believe him. Or you don't let it sink into our being that this world is not our home. That I have a very different destination than the rest of humanity. That the church of Jesus Christ has a has a, has a sure hope, has a, a confidence that the world doesn't share, that we have a blessedness and a, a finality that is distinctly defined for us in God's word. We are told what is our future. It is fully laid out before us that we know what will be. We know what happens after death because God has declared it. And why do we trust that? Because he is faithful. How, why do we know he's faithful? Because he has been consistent in everything. We have seen with our eyes, heard with our ears, and, and we have walked with, in his steps. These disciples had all the evidence they needed. And we share that condition. We have all the knowledge we need because we've heard it all before. But we're still confused about the, our destination. You still think that your destination is something of this world. Fill in the blank. Getting your mortgage paid off. You think that's a destination. That's not. Building, getting married, uh, having kids. You think that's a destination. It's not. Getting retired. So I don't have to, go to get up and go to work every day. That is not a destination that you are interested in. None of these things are the Christian's destination. Our destination is not of this world. You see, Thomas didn't know or didn't trust where Jesus was going. Where do you think the Father is? You think they didn't know where the Father was? I mean, Jesus Christ said, I am from above. You are from below. I'm going back to where I came from. Oh, where's he going? He's from above. You are from below. I'm going back to where I came from. Where are you going? I'm from above. You're from below. I'm going back to where I came from, where the Father is. Where are you going? You see, it's not knowledge that's the problem, is it? We don't like that destination, if we be honest with you. And as I contemplate things, as I think about how the world has presented heaven, it is horrible. It is no wonder that one really wants to go there, because it's boring. Isn't it? What do you do? You float around and you strum harps and everything is like this. I don't know. I, I read God's descriptions of heaven, and wow, it is colorful, it is sparkling, it is overwhelming, it is loud, it is active. I, I, I see no inactivity. I see only one or two pauses of sound in all of the recorded history of heaven. And they are huge which is why I make such a big deal out when I teach Revelation, when heaven became silent. The first time ever recorded when heaven was silent. Is that your view of heaven? Or is it of... Brum, brum. You know, is because we have transferred thoughts about it 
to make it nothing. We're just one step away from, from a Hindu concept of, of nothingness, of nirvana. We just go up there and, stop and you, and you kind of exist, but don't. I'm pretty sure most of you don't know that you have a job to do when you get there. That there will be responsibilities. You're going to have to pick fruit. Did you know you're going to have to be a farmer in heaven? You don't have to plant. You don't have to water. You just have to pick and eat. Kind of like a guy named Adam had in the garden. Yeah. Because the trees of life, it says, puts out fruit every month. And, and so you get a, a tree that produces fruit every month. And I'm pretty sure you have to pick it and eat it. That's how those things work. You know, you're going to be active. And, and so I don't know if you ever had that vision of heaven, of a big river. And I, I, that's my, I'm, I'm parking myself under a tree. No. Even that is of this world. All the focus goes to the sun. Jesus Christ, where all of my activity and energies and, yes, even my um, <laughs> words and speech, my uh, everything is directed to that. Um, this is not, you know, floating around in a sort of nothingness. And because we have had a boring concept of heaven, we're not really thrilled about it, and it's evident that we don't really know our destination very well, so we're not very excited about it. And we're not really that interested in figuring out the way to get there. We just figure, okay, I got that checked off my list, and now I'll just um, live for this world. And we've messed the destination. And so Thomas says, we don't know where you're going, we don't know what you're talking about, we don't know the way. And Jesus Christ says, oh my goodness. And by the way, he ends this by saying, you do know the way. You have known it, recognize it, and this is the very precious passage that says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, no one comes to the Father but by me. And here we come to the crux of this, is that I am going to the Father. It is not a place in terms of spatiality, it is a place in terms of presence. I am going into the presence of the Father. And I know we think of heaven's up there and hell's down there, and, and spatiality is, is there. There is some evidence of that in Scripture, certainly. But we're talking about the presence of the Father. I am going to him, and I'm going to make a place for you to come and join me in his presence. Why is this critical? Because this is exactly what we're called on to believe in order to become a Christian. Here's the foundation. The foundation, as I shared, is two-tiered. The Father is that lower tier. And then we come in to the Father sent the Son, and now we have the tier that we actually sit on, the actual, that we actually rely upon directly, and indirectly, of course, we rely upon the Father, and that is that the, the Son has been sent into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And this is the foundation of our belief system. This is why the teaching on the deity of Christ is so incredibly important. I and the Father are one, Jesus said, and they took up stones to stone him. They immediately understood what he meant. They immediately, and that wasn't the first time. It wasn't the last time. Um, it was just one of the times that they recognized he has made himself equal to God. And this, Jesus Christ, is already communicating. I'm going to the Father. We're going to have a place prepared for you. And then I'm going to come back and take you that where I am, you may be also where I am is with the Father. And now you're going to join the family. You're going to be in his presence as I was in his presence and will be in his presence. And you'll see this repeated. Let me look at it very quickly. Verse 7. <clears throat> You would have known, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also from now on. You know him and have seen him. You have already seen the Father. I and the Father are one. Show us the Father. It's like, oh, 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 now Philip's on it. You know, it's Thomas and Philip. This is, this is not just a Philip's problem. All of them are having these issues because Philip speaks for the group. He says, Lord, show us the Father and it's sufficient for us. Guys. Us. And, not just me and and um, Thomas, but for all of us. 
it'll be enough for us if we just see the Father. It's like, you are, you've been looking at him for three years. What are you talking about? Have I been with you so long? You don't know that when you see me, you see the Father. This has been the whole power of the foundation of being a follower of Jesus Christ, is that he and the Father are one. Look at how Jesus keeps repeating this. Um, and again, I'm just going to select some passages. Verse 11, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works. We'll talk about that in a minute. Let's jump down to verse 20. At that day you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. Let's jump down to verse 23. Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me and will keep my word and my Father will love him and we, capital W, we will come to him and make our home with him. Kind of interesting turn, isn't it? Jesus says, I'm going to go make a place for you and bring you to me. And now he says, we're going to come to you. Can't wait till we get to that part. Uh, chapter 15, I am the vine dresser. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more. You see the relationship between the father and the son? You can't miss it. Verse 9 of chapter 15, as the father loved me, I also loved you. Abide in my love. Let's jump down to verse 15 of chapter 15. Uh, the last half, it says, but I have called you friends for all things that I heard from my father. I have made known to you. Jump down to verse uh, 23. He who hates me hates my father also. Get the picture, go on to chapter 16, verse 3, these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. Verse 15 of that chapter, all things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Go to verse 27, 26, in that day you'll ask in my name, I do not say that to you that I shall pray the Father for you, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world, and again I leave the world and go to the Father. Do you see the repetitive nature of what Jesus Christ is saying? This is the foundation of your expectation at the end of this process, which is joy, peace, and the love of the Father is that you understand that I and the Father are one. That if you do not rest upon that, if you do not just not, not only not grasp it, but, but put every confidence of your life in it, to put full faith into that truth, then you have no reason for your heart not to be troubled. Your heart should be troubled. And this is why we defend so fervently the deity of Christ. He is God. He is the Father. He and the Father are one. And you start to do any injury to that, any whatsoever, we will declare you a heretic and burn you. No, that's someone else does that. We don't do that. <clears throat> Baptists never burn people, okay? We just smile at them and say, we're praying for you, brother. God will burn you. You're, you're struggling with that one, but he will, if they persist. This is the foundation. Do not damage that, or you have no salvation. This is why it is what Christ kept pressing in front of the leadership of Israel. Why would he go and heal people on the Sabbath purposefully in Jerusalem without their faith? He would walk up to people and heal them. It's a Sabbath. Oh, why don't you just jump up here? Oh, oh. you know, other places he says, well, he couldn't heal very many because they didn't have faith. When he went to the outlying ones, he wanted them to believe. But when he went to Jerusalem in front of the elders, he was picking fights. He went and healed people without their faith on the Sabbath, always on the Sabbath. Why? He wanted to tell people something. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. What does that mean? It means you're the God of all the earth. Why does he pick up the scourge and start throwing tables over and, and start whipping people and start throwing the money changers out? Because I am the Lord of this temple. 
This is my father's house. He just made himself God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There was no confusion. Before Abraham was, I am. These are the things that Jesus Christ pressed and pressed and pressed. Because without a Savior who is God, you have no Savior at all. You just have another guru to follow who can't deliver you from eternity. This is what the world wants to undermine. They want to undermine it, and, and, they, and they do it in, in, in subtle ways. Oh, you know, I believe that Jesus was a really good man, had a lot of good teachings, you know, and I'm like, really? Uh, I don't believe that. And they look at me, you're a preacher, you're supposed to. I don't believe that he was a really good man, had very good teachings. I believe he's the perfect man and had the only teachings of truth that men have heard. And if that is not your view of, your, of Jesus Christ, then you have no Savior. Don't you know me? Is what Jesus kept asking the disciples. Of all the things you should know, you should know me. I and the Father, when you see me, you see God. This should be something you not only know mentally, but has penetrated your, your hearts. It should keep your hearts from being troubled, even in the wake of what's going to be coming up in the next few hours and, and three days or so, three and a half days, uh, that this is going to be your, your, your rock. This is your, your platform for all ministry for us, for all belief, is that Jesus and the Father are one. This is the core of the skeleton that Jesus Christ asks us to believe. And so what is it that we add to this? How do we respond to this? What does God call us to? And again, here right away in chapter 14, we have it right away. Um, not only that you know me. Um, he says, you should have known me already. You now know me. Uh, you've seen the Father because you've seen me. Uh, and verse 11 is our response. Believe me. Believe me. Or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. And we've already invested a lot in this. It's a major, major theme in all of John's writings. And so I can't walk away from it because John will not walk away from it. We will keep hammering this and hammering this as we go through this book. Um, that there are levels of belief and John recognized them. James recognized them. Paul recognized them because that was the, that's the condition of men. We have levels. And James says, you believe in God, you, uh, good for you, so does the devils. The demons believe in him and they tremble. All right, so recognize that there's a level of belief there that James says you can have that knowledge, you can have a belief system that you believe that, uh, in God, and, but still be bound for hell. For John and Jesus' words here, recognize that you should believe me, just period believe me, that I'm the Father of one. You need to recognize the necessity of that belief for your salvation. Um, but if you can't believe that, at least get along on the road. And again, I'm going to rehearse for you again the three levels that we've been learning here and the fourth we're discovering. Um, but the first level is you just believe the signs. Can you just believe the signs? And this is really how we, when we give our testimony to people, we're really asking them to believe a sign. The sign that you're trying to give them is the transformation that has happened in your life through the power of God. I was once a sinner, but I came. Pardon to receive for my soul. This was, and we sing about that um, in Amazing Grace, the, the testimony of Newton. You know, that I was the worst. A wretch like me. 
So we're giving a testimony. We are sharing, trying to share a sign. Here's evidence today that God is at work. Look at the change in my life. That God has moved me from this to that. And for people like me and my children who are raised in Christian homes, um, and, and for perhaps many of you, uh, it might be hard to be, really identify that. When did that transformation happen? And, uh, and I wish I could say that I was all this, but i kind of glad I don't have that testimony because then I'd have all the baggage that came with that. But I do know that God has transformed my life. Can God transform the life of a 12-year-old? Well, he did. Was I perfect from then on? No, but I was transformed. I had a different desire. I had a different emphasis in my life. And, and I hungered and thirsted for something else. Someone else. I had a new destination, and I wanted to find and get there well. And so as a 12-year-old, yes, a 12-year-old, I was making some commitments in my life. I'm going to serve the Lord. Does everyone get that calling? Yes. <laughs> Is it to serve the Lord in full-time ministry? Yes. <laughs> For pay? Maybe not. But full-time ministry? For sure. Do you really think that when you go to your job, you're not there as a minister of Jesus Christ? You are. Do you really think that when you go to your school, that you're not there as a minister of Jesus Christ? Tell me one moment of your life when you're not called upon to be a minister of Jesus Christ. You are full-time ministers of Jesus Christ if you're a follower of God. That's your testimony is out there that God has transformed the heart's desire and that's why the joy and the peace and the love and the faith, the hope, all those things, especially those three, uh, the faith, I'm sorry, the love, the joy and the peace of Jesus Christ is the, the transforming thing. The world doesn't have those things. They're foreign to them. They, can't, they don't even know how to define those things really. They really don't. I and mean, you have them. Should. And be showing them full-time ministry. You're trying to show them the signs. Jesus Christ has been doing these signs. Signs, signs, signs. At least believe that. That's the least belief. Believe the signs. And you are inviting, when you give your testimony, you're inviting people to say, God can transform. He's transformed my life. He can transform yours. That's what you're telling people. When you're giving your testimony, you are showing them a sign and saying, God did this in my life. And so... You should believe because this is the evidence. And uh, I love it when people who are new believers, I came across a series of videos of a, of a disabled veteran who was nasty, nasty, and, and, and got saved. And so he put out a whole series of videos, not just one. He put out a series of videos for his family and friends. And his first thing was, um, a lot of you have noticed that things are different with me. I, want, I need to show you why. And he didn't put out, I mean, they're like an hour and a half each. They're like little movies. Uh, and he puts out, I don't know how many there are because I haven't gotten to the end of them yet. And he's trying, and all along, it's the gospel, 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 gospel. And he says, this is why I'm not doing this anymore. I was into this, I was into this, I was into this, I was into this. And he goes through every single thing that used to define him. And he says, these are all the devil. And now this is who I am. And... This is all of God. These are the signs. At least believe them. You see the difference Christ made in my life. You can have it. I offer it to you. Uh, you should believe in, in Jesus Christ simply for that sign. But that's not the best belief. The best belief goes further. And the next step is, well, you should believe my words. And Jesus Christ again here says this. In verse 10, if you back up, uh, do you not believe that I am in the Father, the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. So when we see Jesus do a work, we say, well, that's pretty impressive. Does that prove his deity? No. Elisha, Elijah, Samuel, a lot of guys did some pretty impressive miracles that make them gods too. No, and in fact, Jesus is also going to say, you're going to do greater works than I do. So does that make each of the apostles 
Someone to pray to? No, unless you're Roman uh, in your beliefs. But um, no. The, so what are the works? What, what, they are there to say he has God's favor, God's approval. The power of God is resident here. And that's what you're supposed to be showing. The signs are the power of God is resident. Are you showing the power of God in the manner of your life? Different destination, different life. The words are the wisdom of God. Now, was Jesus' words uniquely the truth? Were Samuel's, thus says the Lord, and Isaiah's, thus says the Lord, and Jeremiah's, thus says the Lord, did that make them God? No, they spoke what God told them to speak. This is what a prophet is. And Jesus Christ says, I speak what God wanted me to speak. And so you've heard my words. And so now we can say, well, this man is filled with the power of God. He is filled with the wisdom of God. And so we can believe that God is at work in him. We can trust him. That the power of God is resident there. The wisdom of God is resident there. And so now, because of that, we should be listening to his words. What are his words? <laughs> Here's what the words of John the Baptist were. I am not the Christ. He is. Or the words of Isaiah, Jeremiah. Did they ever claim to be the Christ? No. The words that Jesus spoke, backed up by signs and the authority of the truth that he spoke, was, I and the Father are one. So you want to believe in the power of God be resident in Jesus Christ. You want to believe in the wisdom of God be resident in Jesus Christ, but you don't want to believe that what he said is true, that he really is God. And yet that leap from listening to the words of Jesus and listening and watching the power of Jesus into believing completely in Jesus as God is a, a, a vital one. It is what it really means to have salvific faith. Because there's been plenty of wise men, there have been plenty of powerful men, but there's only been one man who was God and is God and will always be God. And that is Jesus Christ. This is his claim. This is what he has demonstrated, that it's just going whew, right over the head of the disciples, and, and it's evident, and Jesus Christ is just, you can see the frustration, don't you know me? Haven't you been listening? Haven't you watched the signs? They all affirm and confirm the ultimate truth. And it isn't just that the power of God is among you. It's not just that the wisdom of God is among you. It's that God is among you. Emmanuel, God with us. And this we must believe with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We must embrace this entirely. And I see a lot of Christians that will embrace aspects of this, but will not fully embrace it. They will even make statements, well, we believe in God, and they'll quote this confessional or that confessional about trying to explain the triunity and about fully man and fully God and, and have all of that knowledge. You know this, you know this, you know this. The disciples knew all of this, and they didn't believe any of it yet. Believe in me, Jesus Christ calls them. Believe in me. At least start believing the signs. For the sake of the signs, believe in me. This is what we are called upon. And again, I, over and over again, throughout these three chapters, as I did with the Father and Son, I could do it with believe, believe, believe. Um, you're going to see it keep cropping up and keep cropping up. Um, believe. You need to invest yourself fully in believing in the Lord Jesus Christ as God, your deliverer. Once you identify him as God, the rest of this just falls right into place. Well, of course I have to obey him. He's God. Of course I'm going to worship him. He's God. Of course I'm going to love him. He's God. He's my creator. He is my sustainer. He is my deliverer. He is my everything. Of course I'm willing to suffer for him. Of course. Every, all of these ifs become, of course I'm going to do works that are pleasing to him. Of course I'm going to pray 
properly. Of course I'm going to do all, Of course I'm going to meet every one of these conditions. Why? Because he's God. And he alone has the authority and the right to say all and to demand all of this of me. And the evidence that you really believe that Jesus is God is when you meet the conditions of a wonderful prayer life where you get everything you ask for. And when you get everything you ask for, you know what that brings. Joy. Peace. And love. Yeah, it's conditioned there. I didn't make that up. That's in God's word. We'll see it over and over again. But it all comes back to, do you believe that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world and that the Son and the Father are one and that the Son has gone to the Father and is going to return to gather his own so that where he is, we may be also. Is this your destination that you long for? It will transform your life. It is what it means to believe fully. Not just to believe the signs, not just to believe the words, but to truly believe the person, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. Thank you again for your word. And Lord, we pray again and again that we might grow into a mature faith, a mature belief, not in just your power and wisdom, but in your person, that we might know you and know the way, know the truth, and have life. Lord, we pray that if there be any here that who do not have that confidence, who do not have that sureness, who still wonder at what the way is, that you might bring them believe in you. Lord, we pray as we leave this place that it might be evident to all of us that we are ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not only to one another, to sharpen each other, but Lord, to the lost that we might shed light into their life, though they hate us for it. Yet we will serve you, for you are God. You are the God of all the earth. And we owe you everything. Lord, help us by your Spirit to endeavor to keep that destination in mind in all of our activities of this world. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask Mr. McKillop to come and to lead us in a worshipful response to God's word this morning.